windy. It's still have to get used to Benton, Texas. Blows my hairs hair around. But I wanted to talk tonight about presumption. And um, it got deeper the more I studied. I had to stop. And I had to kind of catch my breath a little bit. But um, I, I entitled it Presumption. It's the fruit of pride. Because sometimes, especially after we've been in Christianity for a while, we start to assume and presume things that maybe aren't true or accurate. So I want to start out by saying not everything is an attack of the devil, and neither is everything we do approved by God. And I have to say this because Clarence and I, about two weeks ago, we watched this expose on a megachurch leadership, and... Um, they exposed the corruptions, financial, financial. there were some sexual allegations and things. And the pastor got up, and it's a mega church, it's a whole worldwide church. He got up and he goes, well, the devil's attacking, but you know we're going to come out of this stronger. Well, number one, it was a lie, because the allegations are true. They're, they're truthful. So... People sitting in the congregation need discernment when something like that is said because they can get a you can rally a whole congregation around a lie. Did you know that? You can rally them around a lie because he's going, oh, it's an attack of the devil. Well, no, it wasn't. He should have gotten up and repented, stepped down, and let somebody else take over. But the whole system was so corrupt for so long that everybody was just there. they. They'd been in it for so long, it was like whatever he said was the truth. So, a simple definition, you now we can sit here, we can be smug and go, well, that's not us. But, don't get so smug. And don't turn off your hearing yet, and don't touch <laughs> that Facebook button. <laughs> because a simple definition of presumption is to assume that our sin is approved by God. That's a real simple definition, and I'm going to kind of broaden it out a little bit as we go. But assumption, presumption is assuming something is true, a belief on reasonable grounds or probable evidence, unwarrantable boldness, arrogance, and pride. So that's the definition of presumption. So if we presume something, we take it for granted. Like we assume... That if it's something we don't like, God doesn't like it. Or, if we like it, then God likes it. So those are two dangerous presumptions, isn't it? Wouldn't you say that? I would, I would say that. So we have to, this is why we have to learn what to do, because our heart is just, I, I saw a, we had um, a, a girl in my children's church class, and she's done quite well musically. She's actually been signed on to Atlantic Records, but um, grew up in the church, started singing in the church, but is not singing at all for God right now, okay? We'll just leave it at that, not singing at all. And I was kind of curious. I, For some reason, I like to check up on time to time on what's going on. So I saw an interview by her, and they were asking her about, you know, how she gets started and everything, and, you know, what her relationship like was like with God now. She goes, well, I don't go to church, but God knows my heart. You know, half naked, half the time, and God knows my heart. And, and I, I just about wept watching it, because as a little girl, she was so sweet. But see, we can't say God knows my heart. You're going to hear that several times in here. Because yes, in Jeremiah it says, I know your heart, and I'm telling you, it's deceitful, and it's wicked. But see, we soothe ourselves. We presume that just because we like it, just because she likes to sing, and she's on a major record album or label, that it's okay because she's successful. That's not true. So presumption can be something that can kind of slither into our spiritual life, and we don't even realize it. So it says in, in Psalm 50, 14 through 22, 
Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. So he says it right in the Bible. You thought I was entirely like you because I kept silent. Just because God is silent about something doesn't mean he approves of it. And we have to understand sometimes God's silence is God's waiting for us to catch up with what he's already talked to us about. So a presumption assumes that God thinks like we think, talks like we talk, acts like we act, even when we think, speak, and act contrary to his written will, which is the word. You can always go back to the word. If you can find it in the word, then it's, it's okay. If you can't find it in the word, then it's not okay. If it's something God hates, then it's not okay for us to do. So we have to presume that we're wrong, or we have to know that we're wrong when God says something and it's contrary to what we want to do. But we can be seduced into thinking that because someone says they're Christians and they appear to be favored because they're wealthy, handsome, intelligent, spiritual, or successful, that God is pleased with them. Well, we have a lot of wealthy politicians, and I know God's not pleased with them. We have a lot of handsome stars, and I know God's not pleased with them. And this is not being judgmental, it's just being a third-party observer. Now, I don't know their personal life, but I know them by their fruits, which is what we're going to talk about a little later on, too. If you see somebody's fruit, if it comes out of their mouth and every other word is an F word, then, you know, I, I'm, I highly doubt that they're serving God. And I'm not talking about the occasional slip. I'm talking about a lifestyle. There's an occasional slip and then there's habitual sin. And there's, a two, there's two different things. And we've talked about that, both Pastor and I, very much over the course of the years. Matthew 15, 12 through 20. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever enters in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast out into the drought? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. <clears throat> For out of the mouth proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defile not a man. So it's things that proceed out of our mouth shows what our heart is. So if you're saying dumb things like, oh, God understands, he knows my heart, check up on yourself when you say things like that. Many people presume that God knows their heart, so he'll give, him a, he'll give them a free pass when they sin. Oh, God knows my heart. I was raised in children's church. I was raised in the church. God knows my heart. But what do your actions say? Your actions say you don't care about God. I was talking to Clarence today. I said, when I was a sinner, I knew I was sinning. The laws of God are written on everybody's heart. We are without excuse. I don't care if the church hurt you. 
I don't care if another Christian hurt you. It doesn't matter because when you stand before God, it's going to be you and God, and you're not going to bring everybody else up there that hurt you and gave you the excuse why you couldn't serve God. There should be an amen in here, even though there's not a lot of us, or you're just taking notes and you're quiet. Thank you. But this is a dangerous assumption to assume, well, God knows my heart. It's a free pass to sin. We can't justify a sinful lifestyle. God certainly does know your heart. And just because we are somehow special, God is not going to give you a free pass to sin and still make heaven. And this is the dangerous presumption. This is why we're teaching it tonight, so we can examine our hearts and we can maybe help other people. And say, you know, well, uh, yeah, God knows your heart. And here it is, Jeremiah 17, 9. Write it down, memorize it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows my heart. He does. It's deceitful. It's wicked. It's miserable. That's why he sent Jesus, to give us a new heart. That's why I asked Pastor to sing that song, Change My Heart, O God. Make it ever true. So now we're going to look at presumption in 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, Condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and deliver just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they self-willed, and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. You know, somebody, and we've heard this, I heard it, Clarence heard it too, it was on the television, I just about, I got so angry at it. You know, somebody up there was trying to, they were trying to justify why their worship was terrible. I mean, it was popular worship. And they go, well, this isn't your grandma's church. Well, it may not be grandma's church, but it's probably not grandma's Jesus either. You know, and so we've got this presumption going on that, you know, everything old is bad. You can upgrade. You can ask my co-teacher out in children's church. We sing the old hymns, but it's got a little bit of a beat that the kids like to it. Got some hand motions. Shelter in the time of storm. He leadeth me. We're teaching them the old hymns, but we're just upgrading the beat a little bit. So yeah, it is. It is your grandma's Jesus in this church. Amen. But that's how they're so presumptuous. Just because they fill a church, they presume, well, you know, this ain't your grandma's church, and they say it mockingly. But I counter that with. It's not your grandma's Jesus, is it? So I'm moving right along. Here are some of the hallmarks of presumption. Number one, they follow the devices and the desires of their own hearts. Two, their actions are contrary to God's precepts. Three, they comply with their corrupt nature. And four, they show a contempt for those who live righteously. So those are the hallmarks, some of the things that you can see with somebody who's very presumptuous. I mean, that was a very presumptuous statement to say, and it was kind of hurtful, because the only reason that the younger generation is where they're at is because of the older generation that's cut the way for them. Amen? Somebody had to teach them something. Somebody once said to me, they, they thought their family was full of wisdom, and they had this four-year-old child in the, in the family, and uh, the, the child wasn't particularly wise, but, you know, they thought that, you know, well, what do you do with such a wisdom in this four-year-old? And I said, well, you got to train up a child in the way they should go. That's what you do with the wisdom. 
I've heard a lot over the time of Minus, as I'm sure you have too. As Christians, we can presume that our actions are pleasing to God because we've served God forever. And this is the danger for people in our age group. We can just assume that, well, you know, I've always served God, so, you know, like we can have a free pass. No, you can't. We have to spend time with God. We have to ask him to reveal our motives. And then we can assess whether we are presuming or obeying. See, the whole bottom line is relationship with God. When Moses, when Aaron, Aaron and Miriam were talking about Moses, and God came down in the middle of it, and he said, I see Moses face to face. And see, that's the relationship we want with God. We want a relationship with God that he can look down and guide us with his eyes. And the only way we have that is if we spend time. You know, it would be a bad marriage if all I did was send Clarence texts all day. Text him, text him, text him. Never saw his face. You know, put, put the lunch on the table. Walked away. Texted him, how was lunch? You know, good. Gave him a thumbs up on it. I mean, what kind of relationship would that be? But sometimes that's how we do God. You know, we don't send him a text, but we just give him a little, you know, little bit here and there. But the, the better relationship we have with God, the more we'll be able to tell whether we're in presumption or in faith. And then if we're in presumption, what we need to do is just repent and say, oh God, I'm sorry, I see it now. And then God will say, well, I forgive you, move on, carry on. Amen? Amen. So presumption can bury itself deep into religious activity, and we can look like we're obeying God when we're actually hurting God's heart by our religion. And I want to give you a few examples. So we can have a vindictive spirit. Now, none of you have ever had a vindictive spirit, right? Only me, right? Only, only the teacher has had a vindictive spirit. But I want to read to you in Luke 9, 51 through 56 of, the, of an example of a vindictive spirit. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and set messengers before his face. And they went and entered into the village of, a Samar of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though it would go to, he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, to, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come down to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Sometimes we want to call fire down on people that disagree with us or don't like us. Or, Lord, can I just call fire down? And he says that, no, I don't want you not to punish them. Don't punish them. You know, we want, to, we want people to feel God's wrath because we're mad because we got rejected. And God's going, eh, you know, it, it's, it's okay. It's okay. You know, but it's hateful for us to feel like that. You know, or I hope they get in an accident. Or I hope this, well, it's just a vindictive spirit. And we can get so self-righteous and presumptuous and thinking that thoughts like that are okay to think. They're not okay to think. That's sin. And I'll show you right here in Romans 2, 1 through 4. It says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, old man, Whosoever thou, thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest does the same things. So be careful. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest this, O man, thou judgest them which do such things, and doest the same that you shall not es escape the judgment of God? You're a hypocrite. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, 
not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You start throwing around sinners. That's why I said don't shut this off because you need to hear it. But you, you start condemning people. You, you're putting up walls. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That puts a wall down. That doesn't draw a wall up. We're, we're not in the business of, you know, oh, the wrath of God is coming upon you sinners. They kind of already know that. They kind of need somebody who has a way out of it. Amen? They don't need somebody to push them further down and further away. That only, all you do with that kind of attitude is you make it, you only just verify what they already think of Christians. That they're condemning and they're ugly and they're rotten people and they're self-righteous and they're hypocrites because I saw them yelling at the store clerk. Number two. A judgmental or a snobby spirit. And I couldn't think of the word. It was kind of like elitist wasn't really elitist, but I'm going to read to you in Matthew 19, 13, 19, 13 through 15, and maybe you can give me a better word, or maybe it'll come to me. Then were there that brought unto him little children, that he should put their hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on him, on them and departed thence. The disciples thought these, the children were not worthy of the master's time or attention because they were just kids. Sometimes we look at certain people and we think, oh, God's already written them off. We have to be careful not to exclude anybody from the goodness of the gospel just because we presume that they're too far to be reached. But there are people that are reprobate. I believe a lot of our politicians have already crossed the line. I believe a lot of the entertainers have crossed the line. But that's not for me to decide. That's God's business. Our business is to pray. Amen? Not to judge and say, well, you know, we're we're excluding this group from our little clicky club. Because they're just, you know, oh, those kids, they're, ugh. They just make a mess. They run all over and mess up things. And Well, teach them how to clean it. Teach them how to be quiet. You can teach kids how to do something. You can teach baby Christians how to do something. But with a real snobby attitude, the church will never grow. Because people come in here and they just won't be good enough for the rest of us. Well, that's just presuming that we're so good. Well, this isn't one of the easiest feel good. I can see why there's not a lot of shouting here. <laughs> it says my in James 2, 1 through 4, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. That's what it is, respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there also come a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit down here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my foot still. Are you not partial in yourselves, and are you becoming judges of evil thoughts? We presume because somebody comes in and they're clean and they're wearing a nice suit that they're nice people. Wrong. They could be the one that's going to steal out of the, the till. <laughs> Just saying. Not saying that people with suits are bad people. And somebody could come in and they don't have a lot of clothes, but what they have is just worn and, and a little dirty. And we're like, oh, couldn't they dress up better? No, they couldn't have. Otherwise, they probably would have. So we make these presumptions by what we see. There again, we go back to wealth, success, you know, hundreds of people sitting in the pews, people waiting to get in. That's not necessarily a mark of success in God's world. God's mark of success has always been and always will be obedience. 
Amen. It's obedience. It's his mark of success. It doesn't matter how many people sit in the pews. It's obedience that matters. And that's what we have to remember. It doesn't matter what people look like. It doesn't matter, you know, the color. It doesn't matter if they're short or tall or dressed in a suit or not dressed in a suit. We can't assume these things and presume that just because they're one way, because that's how people get scammed. They get scammed by how things look. They don't get they they get scammed by something that looks good. And they'll tell you if it looks too good to be true, what's the rest of it? It probably is. That's why we need to not just presume just because somebody comes in and they look really good that they're going to be, you know, really really great for the kingdom. No, we all have the deceitful heart problem that we need to get taken care of at the altar and be born again. And then God works on our heart and continues to work on our heart. Okay, number three, the assuming spirit. God gives all of us time and space to repent. Samson was mightily used by God. Amen? He was mighty man of God. But he had a problem. He got involved with Delilah, who was just, she was bad news for him. And rather than just go in, if you don't know the story, just go into Judges and just read Judges 15 and 16. She begged and begged to know the secret of his great strength. So he had no business being there, did he? No. No, he didn't. So he finally gave in and told her, but what he did not realize with was that the Spirit of God had already departed from him. He had done a few other things up to that. He had lusted after a few women and stuff. And, you know, sometimes God's quiet the first time, and he gives us a little bit of space, a little bit of time for the conscience. Sometimes the second time, and then God, and then you notice when you get up and the anointing isn't there. Well, this is what happened with Samuel in, in Judges 16. Then he told her, verse 17, if you're following, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There had not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak, just like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this at once, for he has shown me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came upon her and brought money into her hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for man, and she caused him to shave off seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as, a, at other, as, as out other times before and shake myself. And he was, was not that the Lord had departed from him. To me, that's one of the saddest stories. He thought God was with him. He thought God approved of him because God used him, and it wasn't true. And Samson was forced to grind meals for the Philistines, and he regained his strength one more time, and he killed 3,000 Philistines, and he died in the, in the midst of it. But had he not spent time with Delilah, had he repented of his lust, who knows what he could have done. And see, this is what happens when we presume things. We cut our ministry short. Mm -hmm. Number four, a rebellious spirit. This person has no clue regarding God's character and thinks that whatever they do is fine with God because of their wealth, position, or success. Now we go to King Saul mm -hmm. in 1 Samuel. And I kind of abbreviated it because most of you know the story. And this is in 15... I'm going to read 13 through 15, then 18 through 23. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So sometimes we presume because we have obeyed the first part of God's command and did not obey the second part that everything's still okay. God told him to wipe everybody out. 
And Saul did not do that. And the Lord, pick up with verse 18, and the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord? See, God calls, when we do partial obedience, God calls it evil. We call partial obedience, we're patting ourselves on the back. We partially obeyed God. Of course, we don't say we partially obeyed God. We said we obeyed God. See, Saul was deceived. And that's what presumption does. It deceived you into thinking that you obeyed when you really didn't. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me and brought back again the king of Amalek, Amalek and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, sheep, oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So now he's adding to it. I mean, it was bad enough. when he Now he's blaming somebody else. He's blaming the people. And he's saying, now we're going to go sacrifice to the Lord. And God's going... Could you just have destroyed it like I asked you to? Could you have just done that? And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. I hope by now you're starting to see how serious presumption is. But before Saul had done that, he also disobeyed in in 1 Samuel 13. Samuel was a little late coming back. Only the priests were supposed to be doing the sacrifices. But Saul goes, well, I'll just do it. Well, he didn't have the, the, the anointing to do it. So he just presumed upon it. I mean, he was presuming all over the place and did not obey God. Halfway obedience is no obedience. We don't even, sometimes we think God should be pleased, but he's not. Or we don't even think about God. You know, that that little girl that said, well, God knows my heart. She's not thinking about God or what pleases him. She doesn't know what pleases him. She's thinking about herself. She's thinking about, I'm going to be as big as Beyonce someday. That's not a good role model. Somebody who loves the devil and then sit there and tell, God knows my heart. That's not what it is. And I'm not mad. I'm not mad. It's just I'm intense right now. So don't think like I'm really mad. No. God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. The fruit of our life will show whether we really obey God or whether we're presuming that we're obedient. It's been said many, many times. We cannot judge another person, but we can see the fruit of their lives. I can see if you're half naked and you're singing a song about lust, you're probably not thinking about God and worshiping him at the same time. Amen? Good preaching, sis. Matthew 7, 16 through 23. You know, but these things need to be said, I think. They need to be said, because sometimes we just don't think about it like that. Matthew 7, 16 through 23. You shall know them by their fruits. Well, there we go. Do men gather grapes or of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by your fruits, you shall know them. And this is why we have to warn people, and this is why we have to preach things like this. For the next statement says, 
Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say unto me that say say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in thy name have we cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. See, God will use a donkey. So don't think just because you're being used by God that you're all that. You're not. And we presume just because we're being used by God that everything's okay. And it better be okay. Because you don't want to be like Samson. I don't ever want to get behind in this microphone without God because it, you don't want to be not anointed when you're preaching or when you're singing or when you're doing something for God. You want to have that anointing with you. Number five, self-righteous spirit. Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I mean, look at that. It says it right in there. Which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Ah, you hate other people and you call yourself a Christian? Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the one a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed this thus with himself. God, I thank thee that, that as I, I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this publican. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, I thank thee. And I like this where it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He prayed with himself. That's how full of himself he was. He prayed with himself. Incredible. So we smugly presume that Jesus loves us better because we do all the right things. Check that off. Tithe, check. Attend church, check. Do good to others, check. Bring things in the food pantry, check. Sing in church, check. But that's not what makes us righteous. None of that. Good works do not make you a righteous person. So don't feel good about yourself just because you're doing the right thing. Be merciful, God, for a sinner. That you came and you died on the cross while I was yet deep in my sin. You came and rescued me. Amen. Number six, the ignorant spirit. Some of these I just couldn't really come up with like really catchy names, so I just had to go with what I had. Luke 12, 16 through 18. And he spoke a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast, been, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God wants us rich toward him. And I'm not against storing up. I think it's wisdom. But if that's what your focus is on, is always storing up, storing up, so later on you'll have it. God's saying no. He said tomorrow we're, we don't have tomorrow promised to us. None of us have anything promised to us. And
and just to presume about tomorrow. See, it was his attitude. It wasn't the fact that he stored up. It was his attitude of, well, I'm just going to store up and just live in ease. It wasn't that he stored up. It was the attitude. See, a lot of these things aren't the deed. It's the heart behind it. It's the attitude behind it that's the problem. That's why he says the heart is deceitfully wicked. It's wisdom to store things. Amen? Amen. It's wisdom. Most of us have worked all of our lives and have stored something away. So when we're this age, when we're not working or we're working less, we have something. That's not foolishness. It's only foolish if God tells you not to do it. You know, right now they're saying food shortage, food shortage. All right, so how much food are you possibly going to store up? You know, and we have a, we have food stored, okay? So don't go out and say, well, you know, no, 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 no. We have food stored up. But we don't have, like, you know, if you open up the fellowship hall and there's, like, rows and rows of food. No, we have just a little closet of food that we have stored up. Things that I like, things that he likes. But if God said, don't do it, then don't do it. Why? Well, sometimes there's no use in storing it up because a tornado is going to come and blast it away. Or somebody's going to come in and steal it. Or somebody's going to, and God can see down the road. So if he's telling you, don't store up, then just don't do it. Put your money somewhere else. So you see, that's why you have to hear from God. Joseph stored up for for a seven-year famine. So, all right, so it's not impossible and God's not against it, but it depends on what you're, what, what God is telling you to do. Amen? Obviously, he'd spoken to this man to give and not store everything up and, and live, live lazy for the rest of his life. He's saying, you're a fool. Your life is going to be required of you. So see, it's all about hearing God for yourself. Now, we can look in the Bible and see certain principles, but we have to hear God when we have very specific things. Like God... They're, they're saying there's a food shortage. What do you want us to do? You know, should we put some food back? Should we do this? Should we do that? And then God will show you what to do. Amen? But you got to spend time with God. You can't text him and say, what do we do? Spend time with God. We presume that we have an infinite amount of time on this earth, so we press procrastinate and we live like we want to and that's what the problem he had with this man that was going to store everything up he was just going to live and eat well and do well and go out and fish and I'm not against that and I'm not against hunting and I'm not against anything that you do that's fun I have fun things I like to do and I'm not against that either but if that's your motive then God's saying you're a fool it says in James 4, 13 through 17, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a while, then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in such boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. So he says, don't boast about tomorrow. Because we don't know. Nobody's got a promise of tomorrow. And I don't want to be like Debbie Downer and go, oh, we don't have a, you know. No, just live your life. Live your life, but live it in obedience to what God would have you to do. Don't just presume at something. So this is our action plan now that we've gotten through these different kinds of spirits. The remedy for presumptuous action is having a relationship with God. We know what the word says. We don't have to go around and and say, oh, God knows my heart, and then go ahead and sing. No, because if we have a relationship with God, we're going to try to avoid sin the best we can. Amen? If we revere and respect God when we listen to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us. Because we all do things that hurt other people. We all do things that we wish we hadn't have done. He uses our Bible 
time, our prayer time. He'll use ministry time to use another person. He'll use a lot of different things to get our attention when we're off course. Amen? And we just have to be sensitive to it. During our private prayer time, we can allow the word to penetrate our heart and do its job if we're humble enough to receive correction. We have to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. None of us knows everything. Allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign so we won't have presumption. You know, Peter was presumptuous. And Jason said this the other night. He said, I, the Lord wants to sift you as wheat, but when you repent, you're going to help feed the sheep. So see, God is optimistic about all of us. Because he says, and when you repent, then you're going to be more powerful. Amen? So, but Peter needed that revelation because Peter was presumptuous. No, Lord, I'm going to follow you right to that. And then somebody goes, were you with him? And he goes, nah, not me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Well, see, he had a fear of man in his heart. So it needed to be revealed. But then he had such a strong relationship with the Lord. The Lord, all he had to do was look at him. And Peter fell apart and repented. And that's the kind of relationship that we need to strive for, is be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that all he has to do is say one word, and we're like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And that's the relationship. And so in Psalm 139, 1 through 5, it says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understand my thoughts afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. So we have to say, Lord, search me and know me. Know my heart. Every day get up and say, Lord, know my heart. Is there something that I need to take care of today? Acknowledge that God is sovereign. Submit to his leading. Humble yourself. We can walk perfectly in the will of God. We can walk in the will of God and not in presumption. And I'm going to close with this, with Psalm 19, 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than they are, are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also are than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this word. Lord, it's a hard word, but Lord, you, you give these words so that we can grow, that we can follow you, and Father God, that at the end of it all, that you'll tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we love you, and if there was anything that the Holy Spirit revealed to us about our, our walk with you, that we presumed something, God, I pray that you forgive us, Father, that you cleanse us, and Father, that you set us back on our feet. And Lord, we just thank you and we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, my dad went through a trial one time and God gave him a verse to that old song, How Down on the Way. It kind of goes like this it says, God in Oh.
can move in your spirit. I believe God's going to bring some scriptures back to you as you're laying on your bed tonight. Say, Lord, cleanse me. Change my heart, oh God. Let's stand our feet and do that song just before we leave again. Change my heart. Let's see how we do it now.